sermon left you with thinking about the person who said the sermon or the good ideas or the notes, then it wasn't a real sermon. A sermon is to leave us thinking about and worshipping upon about Jesus. So I'm just living in faith that Mark sermon this morning will bring us and focus upon Jesus. No pressure, Mark. <laughs> no, no, no pressure, mate. <laughs> That'll teach you to say that last week. Why don't you reach out your arms and, and seek God's blessing uh, that Mark will lead us to consider and think and just be amazed by the wonderful God. You know, the gospel is good news. Wonderful news. We've got a wonderful God. Father, we pray for your touch upon Mark today as he shares with us, Lord. I pray, Father, he will be a channel for you, Lord, that you will speak through him and to him and, and just uh, speak to us as well through him, Lord. I pray, Father, your blessing upon him this morning, Lord, that uh, our eyes will be filled with the wonder of who you are, the person, the one we come to worship. Bless him, Lord, and make him to be a blessing this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Oh, amen. Good morning, all. I can hear myself, so I'm sure you can hear me. We all know the story of the prodigal son, right? Very well. I've been instructed to move to the right-hand side here. We know there are three people in this story. And I believe that all three of those people are prodigal in a very different way. And this morning, that is what I want to talk about. The prodigals. So first of all, I want to take a look at what the word prodigal means. Always a good place to start. Now, if you're like me and thought that it was about someone going missing or coming back, returning, you'd be absolutely wrong. This is what the dictionary says about the word prodigal. Spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant, or to spend until you have nothing left. So spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant, or to spend until you have nothing left. Does that sound like the prodigal son? Mm -hmm. Does to me. So we're going to dive into Luke 15. I'm going to just sum up the story very quickly because we're going to be covering a lot of this. We're going to be jumping in and out. The story goes something like this. There was a father who had two sons. The younger asked for his share of the inheritance, received it, and left straight away for a far-off country. Once there, he wasted it all on wild living. He came to his senses after there was a famine throughout the land and decided to return home to the father. And to his surprise, was received with open arms. This reception alienated and angered the elder brother greatly. 
And the story closes with the father appealing to his firstborn son to come and join him with the welcome and the forgiveness of his younger brother. So let's take a look at the younger son first of all, whom I'm sure we all know the, the most about. It starts in verse 12 with a shocking request from the younger son. He says to the father, give me a share of the estate of all that you own. Normally, as we know, even in this day, that this wouldn't happen until the father dies. So straight away, we see the complete disrespect for the father in virtually wishing his dad dead. We see that he was after the father's things, but yet he wasn't interested in the father at all. In those times and society, the father would have been expected to give him what for? To drive him out of that home, even out of the village, with some physical assistance. But as we know, the father doesn't do that. He simply gives the son his request. The pain the father would have experienced at this time would have been absolutely heart-wrenching. His son, in whom he poured so much time, love and effort into, simply turned his back on him. He rejected him and he humiliated him. It then carries on in verse 13. The son headed off to a distant land. He wanted to get away as far as possible from his family. He then goes on to waste everything on wild living. Here we see prodigal number one, recklessly spending everything he had, but on himself. Everything that the father had worked for and gave him, gone on self-gratification. After a famine across the land and the son getting to a place where he was ready to eat with the pigs, he comes to his senses, surprise, surprise. So he prepares this speech. He says to himself, he's ready to say to the father, make me like one of your hired men. Let me make restitution. Let me somehow pay back for my sin. As he approaches ready, prepared to give his speech to the father, it says the father sees him coming. He runs to him. He grabs hold of him. He wraps his arms around him and kisses him. In verse 21, the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father jumps in and he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on my son's finger and sandals on his feet. Anyone watching this who knows what the son has done would have been absolutely dumbfounded. What on earth are you doing? After everything that rat has done, Here we see prodigal two in action. We've already heard how the father was looking out for him. This probably would have been continuous from the moment he left. The father never ever lost that connection. Always thinking about his son, always looking for him on a daily basis. How he run to him 
and we've heard how he wraps his arms around him and kisses him. We see the father pouring out his reckless, reckless love and amazing grace. He absolutely refused to make him pay or punish for what he did. Instead, he tells the servants to put the best robe on him. I believe a sign of righteousness. We know the, the robe of righteousness. Nothing to do with what the son had done, but what the father chose to do. He put a ring on his finger, a sign of honour, relationship, eternal life even. The sandals on his feet, a sign that his feet were not dirty anymore. It didn't matter where he had been. These were all symbols of the father's intent to restore the relationship. He then goes on in verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. No meat would have been more expensive than the fattened calf. Again, the father shows that there is no expense spared in having the son back. It was likely that the whole town or village would have been invited to celebrate his return together. For this son, who was dead, is now alive again. There would have been a huge party with dancing, singing and celebrating. And here, this is where the older brother comes into the story. He hears what has happened and is absolutely furious. Now it's his turn to disgrace the father. He refuses to go into the celebration. He disagrees with his father publicly. He's concerned with the cost. He says to him, you have never given me anything like this before. Then here it comes. I have worked myself to death. All these years I have slaved for you and, and I have never disobeyed you once. Here we see protocol number three. The older son had worked himself to death. He had spent everything he had, his time, his resources, recklessly on trying to earn the father's love and slaving for him. He complains to him. He starts with the word look, almost telling his father, you need to listen to me. I've worked for all this and he has done nothing to earn anything and yet you lavish him with wealth and with love. Where is the justice in that, he says. Again, this would have been completely disrespectful to the father, questioning him, even humiliating him in full view of the guests. The father would have been expected to deal with the son severely for the way that he dishonoured him. But again, not so. We hear the father pleading with him. And he starts with the words, my son, reiterating his relationship regardless of what's happened. He says, you are always with me and absolutely everything I have is yours. One thing I actually believe the younger son understood, that everything that the father had was his, yet forfeiting the relationship in the process. He goes on, but this is a wonderful time and we have to celebrate. Your brother, reiterating relationship again, was dead, but is alive again. He was lost, but he is now found. 
Instead of rejoicing at his brother's return, <clears throat> he was angry and he was resentful. Here we see two very, very different relationships with God, but yet both hearts reveal the same motive. Neither son was after a relationship with the father, but only what they could get out of him. One son got as far away as he possibly could, while the other one stayed close. And yet in his own words, I have never disobeyed you. But yet this was all to try and gain control. Both resented their father's authority and looked for ways of getting out from underneath it. Both rebelled and wanted to tell the father what to do. Neither son loved the father for who he was. Both were using the father for their own selfish desires and gain. We see through this that we can be separated from God, whether we run away or whether we think we are close to him. At the end of the story, Jesus leaves in suspense as to what happens to the older brother. Are things restored? Does he make it into the feast, into the kingdom like the younger brother? I want to take a look at the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him what he needed to do to deserve eternal life because I believe there are similarities with the older brother here. Here we read about a man who very much relied on his good works, a man who trusted himself as a saviour. It's in Luke 18, 18 and he starts with good teacher. What must I do to deserve eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments, don't you? There's no committing adultery, there's no killing, there's no stealing, there's no lying. You're to honour your father and mother. I can just see the guy getting excited. He says to Jesus, I've kept them all, I've kept them all for as long as I can remember. Jesus heard that and he said, then there's only one thing left to do. You need to sell everything, everything you own and give it away to the poor. Then you will have riches in heaven, he says to him. Then come and follow me. Jesus had set him up. He deliberately held back the one thing he knew that he couldn't do. This was the last thing that the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tightly to a lot of things and he was not about to let them go. We see the elder brother and the rich young ruler in similar circumstances. They're both trying to earn favour. They're trying to earn salvation for their own good works. Always chasing, striving. Very religious. See, as Jesus shows us, religion can be so cruel. There is always one more thing that you have to do. We see the rich, the rich ruler was discouraged and sad. He approached Jesus looking for approval on his good works. Jesus simply directed him to the next law, showing him how he could never make it on his own. See, the, the younger son is very easy to recognise, but the older son can go unnoticed and can be a lot more dangerous. Most people know that the, the gospel calls us away from the younger brother, 
but not the older. A barrier can be formed between God and the elder brother, not necessarily because of their sins, but because of their good works for all to see. So how do we know and recognise the signs of the elder brother? There are many. This story is absolutely packed with them. I've just picked a few out. First of all, when life doesn't go as you want, you can get angry and bitter. Elder brothers believe that if they live a good life, they should get one. If things go wrong, you are furious with God. If you fall short, you will be furious with yourself and feel as though that you need to be punished. You always feel like you are owed more than you are getting. You always feel like you have one more thing to do. You lift yourself up. Self-righteousness. Or you put others down. Not celebrating other people's successes or breakthroughs. Unforgiving. As the elder brother was to the younger. See, it is so difficult. It is so difficult to forgive someone if you feel or see yourself as superior. You can be judgmental. He said as a younger brother, that lover of prostitutes. There's a lack of joy and love in just seeing the father pleased. doing things for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives, not for the love of God or for people, but for self-gain. See, the older brother couldn't see. He couldn't see that he was alienated. But the younger brother could. We've all heard the saying that if you know you are sick, then you go to the doctors. But if you can't see, Things can only get worse, even to the point where you can die. So what does all this mean? Can the elder brother make it into the kingdom? Does he make it into the kingdom? Again, I'm turning back to the rich ruler in verse 24, and I believe Jesus helps us out here. In verse 24, it says that Jesus looked at him, so he's looking right at the rich ruler. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich or even religious to enter the kingdom of God. Now that sounds pretty difficult to me. Those who heard this were astonished. Who then, who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man? is possible with God. He was making it clear that it was impossible to make it on your own merit, through your own good works, but that all things, all things are possible with, with God. He was showing him that there is a way, 
just not his way. I believe by Jesus leaving the story unfinished with the older brother that he wanted us to recognise just how important it is to deal with him. As we've already seen, the first thing is being able to identify him. Secondly, there needs to be a deep need and a desire to turn away from him. We need to stop coming into agreement with him. And we can do all this with the help of the Holy Spirit. That will show us this, that will reveal this stuff to us, that will lead us and guide us through this. And there is a need to reconnect with the Father's initiating love. And we see that through the younger brother in this story. You know, at times we can jump between these two relationships. We heard how the, how the prodigal son, the younger brother, prepared his speech and the first thing that comes to his mind was he wants to pay for it, he wants to pay back his father. He somehow felt that he could pay back for his mistake, willing to be a servant in his father's own household. This wasn't an option for the father. He was only interested in relationship. Then we see the older brother and how easy it is. The weight, the weight of the law is heavy. So, so heavy that it can bring you to your knees. It can get to the point where when things don't go your own way, you can question all the good works you do then you can slip back in to the younger son's lifestyle. We can jump backwards and forwards from one to the next without really finding rest. So what's the answer? And as God made it that all children look to their father to lead us, to lead us the way, and I believe Jesus was showing us that in the story. He was showing them and us the real father, a father that is only interested in relationship, that he is not the critical God who is quick to punish like many thought, but that he is a prodigal God who will stop at absolutely nothing to re-establish and restore our relationship with him, even at the cost of his own son. He is the elder brother that we all need. You do not get more extravagant and prodigal than that. Mary gives us a A great example of this. See, at times we, 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 we think about this and we dwell on it and it don't make sense, does it? If we think too much, it doesn't make sense. This prodigal love is hard to, to get your head around at times. It's like, why, why did God do that? Why his son? And we find ourselves thinking like that, don't we? And I just think, I think Mary gives us a good example of that. When she poured the bottle of very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. 
Some of the disciples didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They were annoyed. And they looked upon it as a waste of money. But in Jesus' own words, his response to Simon Peter was, in Luke 7.44, he says, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great prodigal love has shown. But whoever, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. We see Mary pouring out literally everything she had. Her tears, her emotion, her own hair to wash and clean Jesus' feet and to wash his feet with this very expensive bottle of perfume. This was prodigal love. This was reckless. Nothing was going to stop her pouring this out on Jesus. See, Mary got it. She see the initiating love of the Father through Jesus. She was able to receive it. She was able to walk in relationship. And then she was able to give it out. there is no evil no sin that the father's love cannot pardon there is no sin that is a match for his grace I'm going to wrap this up now this morning but I want to just remind us of what we've heard this morning We have seen that there's three prodigals within this story. It's not just about the prodigal son. We've seen how we can be prodigal in different ways. We can see the danger of not wanting relationship with the father. We've taken a look at the elder brother and the signs of the elder brother and what we need to do with him. And finally, hopefully today, we would have had a little reminder, or for some, maybe even a clearer picture of our prodigal God and his wonderful love for us. God bless you all.